Welcome to Dark Horse Matters, the show about passionate people, people who have drive, people who have uh, a goal in, that they want to achieve, people who have energy and they just have a purpose so strong that they're just going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And there's stories on how that evolves. And it's just so exciting for me. Every single time I have a new guest on the show, it just fires me up. And I hope that happens for you as well, those of you watching. And if you're a returning guest, I just appreciate the support. If you're new, don't forget to like and subscribe, hit the bell so you can be notified every time we have a new story posted every week. So um, today's guest has been, uh, it's just a pleasure for me to have her here. It kind of random how I found out about her. Um, Hinman is one of the biggest dental conventions out there. Well, pre-pandemic it was a really huge deal this time it was pretty it was our first time back after you know being virtual for the past few years and I was really excited when I knew that I was going in person I know the energy is just so much better and I don't know I feel like I learned better that way but um I found out about her. I just signed up for some classes that I knew was dental hygiene related because I'm a dental hygienist. And um, that's how I found out about her. I was so inspired by her, her speaking and you know her teaching. And I'm, I just walked up to her right after and introduced myself. And now here she is on the show. She's uh, accomplished so much in her life. And um, for those dental hygienists out there who are probably watching, you're going to be inspired by her for sure. So please give a warm welcome to Amber Auger. Hi, thank you so much for having me. First of all, I didn't realize we were on video. Otherwise, I would have cleaned up <laughs> cleaned up my office here. I'm like, oh no, she's she is going for it on video. And I've got my dog mom hat on after the dog look, park. I'm like, oh you my look gorgeous. Goodness. You look gorgeous. So I apologize that I've got like notebooks out and this is my dog's chair that's just hanging out. So <laughs> I'm like not prepared. So I apologize for the background, but I am so excited to uh, be with you all this after uh, today, whatever time you're listening and every time you're watching I'm, I'm so excited to be here and thank you for having me um you're very welcome and I'm it's such a pleasure to have you on here so before we get into you know just your journey of dental hygiene and where you are today um can you give us a little background about where about yourself where you're from yeah, of course. So I grew up in a small town called um, Lewiston, which is a French Canadian community. So my last name's actually pronounced Oji. I go by Auger because if I said Oji, everyone wouldn't be able to spell it correctly. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in Lewiston, Maine, and Milltown, and uh, that's where I'm from. Yeah, I grew up with a single mom. So um, and went to hygiene school in Connecticut. And then got a master's degree in public health uh, from the University of New England in Maine as well. Okay. I didn't know that you grew up in a single mom uh, household. Mm -hmm. So, so have I, I mean, I, my dad passed away when I was in high school. So after that, you know, single motherhood, I, I truly experienced, you know, like what that was like it's a struggle, especially when there's five girls. <laughs> Do you have any brothers and sisters? have an older uh, brother with a different uh, dad. So we're half brother and sister. So I cannot imagine, you know, what that is like to, to lose a, a parent. I didn't lose a parent. A parent was never involved. Um, so I feel like that's actually so much worse than never knowing, you know, missing out on somebody. So right. I'm so sorry that that happened, but it always, you know, makes us who we are. 
Right. Yeah. So I, I see where your that. drive and your, your sweat equity come from. Yeah. So I, you know, you're the first dental hygienist I've interviewed on my show, which is really surprising. I've had, I've interviewed several dentists, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you're my first hygienist that I'm interviewing. So I always ask all the dentists sort of this question. So I'm going to ask you, um, what inspired you to get into dental hygiene? Cause everyone always tells me like this, that's so random. Like why, why dental hygiene? Yeah. So first of all, I grew up on Bill Nye, the science guy and Miss Frizzle. So I absolutely have always <laughs> loved science from that realm. And I remember the moment that I decided I wanted to be a dental hygienist was in the sixth grade science class. We were talking about how teeth form. And I was like, that is it. I'm doing it. I'm going to dental hygiene school. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to eventually go back to school for dentistry. And I decided that I really loved prevention and, I started dental hygiene with carpal tunnel. So I knew for me personally, I couldn't withstand doing full-time clinical. A lot of times when people, I meet people who are in dental hygiene, they have someone in the family that's from dentistry. So that's just funny that you're introduced to it that way, just from being a kid and just fascinated about teeth. Mm -hmm. I think about myself and the first time I, you know, my fascination with teeth began, I was probably five. And my cousin, it was four and she was brushing her teeth. And I was like, why are your teeth so white? And she's like, I brush them. That's why. And she was like showing me how to brush. And ever since Aww. then, I was obsessed with my teeth. And it's <laughs> probably why I'm a dental hygienist today. I always tell I her it. that. I always tell her that, that she inspired me. Yeah. <laughs> where you went to dental hygiene school, where you mentioned the university, it. The University of New Haven in Connecticut. New Haven, Connecticut. What was your experience like in dental hygiene school? Was it terrible? <laughs> terrible. Um, and it wasn't because of my school. My school was absolutely a phenomenal school. I struggled with a learning disability. So that wasn't diagnosed until my junior year of hygiene school. So I was always the student who first of all, was working. I had to work because I had, we had no money. I'd been on my own financially since I was 13. So my mom couldn't help me with, with school at all. Um, and essentially what I did is I, I worked pretty, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week, plus did hygiene school full-time, lived right on campus. And if I wasn't working, I was studying and I didn't know how to properly study you know, through middle school, through high school, I was always an honor student, but I would always fail test, make it up in classwork and make it up in class participation and would still be an honor student. And that was literally how I lived my life. So when it came to hygiene school and the tests were so important in regards to how much they counted for in the class, it was such a struggle for me. And I would go to a study group, teach everybody else in my study group, the information, get to the test and just absolutely fail the test. And I had an amazing instructor my junior year who said, I want you to go to the student services and get tested for a learning disability. And essentially what uh, they found was that I have a problem with comprehension. So you can ask me verbally, I can answer the question without multiple choice. But if you ask me on paper, I have no idea what the question's asking. I get super anxious. So my senior year, I had more time for testing a private room, graduated with honors. And I'm so grateful that that professor saw that in me and provided me with the resource I needed because I actually had more time on boards. And had I not had that extra time, I know I wouldn't have passed. 
because I was a ball of anxiety. And what do we do? We compare ourselves to others. And we're always asking, you know, did you, how'd you do on the test? And I was always so embarrassed to even answer the question. And I felt so inadequate in the first three years of hygiene school. It was stressful. I felt like I wasn't going to make it. There was a lot of fear. And honestly, it's not like a fun environment whatsoever. At least it wasn't for me. Um, I'm so grateful that my professors were who they were and always inspiring and encouraging, but it was really, really hard for me for school. And what's funny is most people assume that it wasn't. And now that I'm doing what I do on the podium with speaking, corporate consulting and running, you know, my own business and creating Thrive in the Op, everyone assumes that, oh, you must have loved hygiene from hygiene school. Absolutely hated hygiene school every minute of it. And I love what I do as a hygienist. And the fact that I worked in a practice throughout high school really kept continued to drive me forward because I knew what the real world would be like. And I knew I would love the everyday as a dental hygienist. So that's really what kept me in school. Wow. I cannot believe, I mean, that just, you know, for anyone out there who just doesn't believe in themselves, like, I mean, you're living proof that, come on, there's no excuse here, you know, like you can do it. Wow, that is such an incredible story. Um, Thank you. What yeah. an inspiration to a, a lot of people out there. Because I mean, I think about dental hygiene school. It was tough. Like, especially that first, you know, so like academic was the first semester. I just remember having 10 exams in one week. I was like, this is not legal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, right, I don't think right. I slept for two weeks. Right. And um, it was funny because I was having like conversations with some of my classmates um, recently. And when I was asking them about what they remembered about school and they're like, why are you trying to bring back my PTSD? <laughs> you know, like, right. I mean, it wasn't that it was horrible. It was just, it was tough. You know, they really, really pushed you to your, your level. And I actually appreciated that about dental hygiene school. Um, a lot of people remember the horrible things, but I remembered how, how much I grew and, mm -hmm. you know, and I grew a lot in a really short period of time during that experience. So mm -hmm. that's very cool. Um, so after graduation um, and you entered into the professional field, into clinic, like what was your outlook like after graduation? Um, you know, when, when you, you know, what was your view of what it was going to be like uh, in the clinic? you know, and then compared to like, when you started working, like, was it different? You know, your expectations from what, what actual was? You know, it was different, but I will be honest. I worked six days a week as a new grad and I was in three different practices. Two were pediatric and one was a multi-specialty practice. Every single dentist that I worked with was so encouraging, so empowering, they saw my hunger to learn. They saw my hunger to please. I think that being a waitress really helped me anticipate working under stress well. So I tend to like thrive the more chaotic the environment is, the more I'm like, okay, let's figure out the solution. And, you know, um, it, that energy of, okay, we're really busy. How do we get back on track? How do we get back on time? That works well for me. I love that pressure. And again, I think it stems back from waitressing. But the employers that I had from the get-go were always open. They always wanted to collaborate with me. One of them would be like, hey, if you want to eat lunch with me today, like, let me know. We can go over a case. And I would jump in and, you know, bring lunch and we'd sit together and we'd talk about why he did the restorations he did. And I learned so much about 
vertical dimension and biological width and these specific terms that I never learned in hygiene school. And I always felt like the dentists were my peer. So I was never nervous to talk to them about anything, whether it was talking about an instrument budget or talking about, you know, the handoff and how I can improve. I felt really, really supported. And then I moved to the Boston area about four years after graduating um, and staying in Connecticut, I moved to Boston and the experience was completely different. So I realized how, how unique I had it in Connecticut at that time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like I love how, you, you just your whole time, you've just been so support, surrounded by support and um, people who are giving and, you know, that's a huge, um, I don't know, a lot of people don't get that. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, that's really great. And it just shows, you know, and I think it's your hunger really that attracts that support to you. Thank um, you. Yeah. I, I think that I also, I align, I, I now looking back, I was attracting a different caliber of, you know, Dennis. Dennis literally were, I, I showed I was hungry. I showed up with hand printed resumes on thick resume paper with my uh, business cards attached to it, two or three with a paperclip on it and would go in and, and literally cold call offices. You know, this was back in 2010. So, you know, internet was a thing, but, you know, to go and make the effort to be in person helped diversify me for sure, because I was competing with all the people I had graduated with. So, you know, what made me different? Well, this is how, this is how it made me different. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, Yeah. Your passion is definitely evident and it's, you know, I I can feel the energy through the screen. (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> that's I've awesome. never been told I don't have energy. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, and that's like important when you're a dental hygienist because you know people when when they're in the chair, you know they're in a vulnerable place, you know. And right. if you if you can you know just convey that you're you care about them and you want to create a happy environment for them and comfortable, you know that's that makes a huge huge difference. So that's awesome. So I was just thinking about like. Um, in the clinic, um, while you're practicing, like what were some of the things you struggled with or noticed that other hygienists, you know, that you worked with struggled with um, communication or in business or patient care? Like what are the common things in um, just an a dental office setting that you have experienced? For me, it's, it's more of what I look at why most hygienists come to me for help and it's time management and how to talk to the patient, how to convert that patient who's maybe been a long-term profi patient to a scaling and root planing without throwing the previous provider under the bus. So that's what I see a lot of. For me, clinically, when I first started, the biggest thing was time management. And the other thing was figuring out how to navigate your ethics as a hygienist. We learn how to read radiographs, but we can't diagnose. So how do we ride that line of not diagnosing, leading the patient down the right track, and also giving the doctor the autonomy? Like, how do we set them up? So whenever I join a practice, I like to ask the doctor to sit down with me and review some of their clinical cases. So I have a better idea of when they're going to recommend a composite versus a crown versus an onlay versus an inlay versus an implant versus a bridge. I want to know where their philosophy stands so that I can properly educate the patient before they come in. And again, not to diagnose, but frankly, we're co-diagnosing. So that's really where I specialize with teaching hygienists how to do it and and where I've learned how to find my own road to that path, if you will. I feel like a lot of the, the problems that I've seen, I've tempted a lot of offices. I've worked at 
in three different states. And I don't know, I think just the communication between the hygienist and the doctor, that, that mm. connection is just so separated. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's amazing that just from the get-go, you sit with the doctor up front and, hey, let's mm. communicate here. Um, mm. Yeah, that I can see how that makes a huge difference because that that disconnect is just so rampant out there. It is so rampant. And the thing is, is our professions were designed to really progress forward together. And if we don't tap into that, we're only going to be disserving, disservicing our patients and ourselves, frankly. So I love starting with that. We set the foundation. It, it's, I normalize it right off the bat. And I asked, you know, the doctor, the doctors are going to come into my room first because they know, number one, I'm going to be ready no matter what time, whenever they come in after that first 20 minutes, they know they can count on me to be good to go for an exam. They can come in off any point. And I'm making sure I'm setting a piece of wet gauze aside for the, the doctor to do the oral cancer screening, a dry gauze in case they need to dry off any areas to see better. They have the mirror that's wiped and ready to go, the explorer and the probe right outside of that kit. So they know, okay, I'm ready to go. The light is on, I'm pulling them in and introducing them. So these things make a huge difference for the doctor as well. They feel respected. I've pulled out gloves and set them down on a, on a uh, tray for them. I usually do like a little um, bracket cover tray on the counter where they can just come in, grab, they, they're good to go, the perio charts up, the images are right next to it. And they know they can rely on me to be their second set of eyes. And that's really why I also love practicing as a hygienist still. I mean, I would be full-time if I could be, but because of my carpal tunnel, I can't. That's why I diversified. And now I create a career that I absolutely love because when I'm speaking on the podium, it drives more from the clinical and vice versa. So I feel, I never feel like I'm, you know, exhausted at the end of the week because I'm following my passion. And for me, it's never been about the money. It's always been follow the passion to educate the patient for prevention. And now follow the passion to teach the dental clinicians, the latest science and how to apply it chair side in a way that doesn't take, you know, is it unrealistic because we can go to a CE course and learn so much scientific information and feel great. But if we don't know how to apply that in our everyday workflow, we're never going to get better as a profession. And how we apply that in also includes how synergistic we are with our, our you know, dentists. And the other thing is dentists go to school to learn how to do amazing dental work. They don't go to school to learn how to have conflict management. Most dentists are introverts. So mm -hmm. to be a part of a team that has all of these crazy personalities and most hygienists are extroverts who are high energy like myself, and that can be very overwhelming. So we, a lot of what I teach is being emotionally aware, knowing your strengths, not shaming yourself for being a super high energy, passionate person, but knowing how to integrate well into a team and to be respectful of the team. There's certain people in the morning uh, in my office that I know aren't morning people. So I'm not gonna come in with full-blown morning amber if it's going to disrupt their space. So I come in and I kind of drop my tone a little bit. Good morning, how are you? And then by lunchtime, they're ready to talk. I'm ready to talk. And it's a better environment for everybody. Right, emotional awareness. Like, I feel like um, just, I don't know, you have to practice that because a lot of people don't know how to do that. I mean. Yeah. You yeah. have to, you have to yeah. be shown. <laughs> you do, you do have to be shown. So it's, you know, emotional awareness. And another one that's big that I don't think enough people talk about is spatial awareness. So like knowing your audience, knowing where you're standing. And I think you naturally have that. You carry yourself with such an amazing presence that when you came after, you know, I spoke and we're like, want to be my podcast? I was like, 
yeah, I do. Let's go. What is it? Because you are just, you carry yourself with such grace, such poise and, and really presence in you that if you weren't spatially aware, you wouldn't, you know, and you have even did it quickly. You saw that another speaker was coming in. You saw that I had a quick turnaround. So you went in and pitched right away. Whereas some people would have kept me there for, you know, 20 minutes asking me and I wouldn't have had time to say yes, or I would have had to walk out with you and it would have appeared, it wouldn't have been such a unique conversation and instant connection, but because you were able to read the room, that it does make a huge difference. And I think, unfortunately, I think emotional awareness, you can learn. I think spatial awareness is a natural gift. You either have it or you don't. And there's been times where I'm even traveling. Like I recently traveled with uh, two amazing friend of mine. And one of them was like walking with me, same speed in the airport. We were like, bye then. I was like, yeah, awesome. Our other (laughs) friend, we were like, where is she? Like, did she use the restroom? Like she's not communicating. And then, you know, she would be rolling her suitcase and not holding it to like roll into hours. And we're like, and standing in front of like with a big backpack in front of a group randomly in the middle of the airport and we're like you gotta keep moving (laughs) so these (laughs) things do make a big difference though when you're networking and trying to really create your your best life frankly because if you can network well if you know that spatial awareness you have that emotional IQ the world really is your oyster to to chase your passion and and to create a career you love yeah I mean, it's probably one of the most important skills, not just in, you know, it's in life. <laughs> it helps you it in is. life. Yeah. Yes. I, I think that's so amazing that you have that, you know, incorporated into your program. And we're going to get into um, that a little bit deeper. Um, I, I just wanted to talk about like uh, some of the people that you help. Like, do you ever come across a lot of single moms out there? Like, because I, I always like have this question, you know, like, when I like, well, just speaking for myself, when I went to dental hygiene school, I never thought of that I was going to end up being a single mom while being a dental hygienist. Like, what is your, um, you know, what do you think about, you know, or what is your experience with people with dental hygienists who are single moms? And, um, you know, as dental hygiene is a career for a single mom, I know you make it possible, like, just because the way you are, like, I don't see why that would ever hinder um, someone like you, but I know a lot of people, I struggle with it. Um, so I don't know. I just want to know your thoughts about that. Yeah. So I've coached a few single moms and what I coach too, as well is for me, clinically, I make more in two days a week for clinical hygiene than I did working five days a week. And that's because I work off a base plus commission structure. So I've worked with teaching hygienists, how to maximize case acceptance never over recommending treatment by any means, but how do we look at that patient comprehensively and recommend according to their risk factors? And when we do that naturally, your production is gonna increase. So I've been able to work with single moms or we figure out how to have maybe scheduling in some longer days of, instead of moving from a four day week work schedule, we can have them make the same amount in two and a half days, if not three days at most. So you can have more time at home with your kids. and. For me, you know, being a product of a single mom, my mom was never home. My mom worked three jobs. She was a bus driver, a house cleaner, and a bartender. So um, I've understand the importance of the of the sweat equity. And the amazing thing about being a dental hygienist, of course, is that overall we make some pretty great money. And it's we do have more resources to help with childcare and things like that. But it can 
also be a challenge where you want to be there for your kids and you don't want somebody else just watching your kids all the time. So I focus on helping you create a high paying job and even creating a, maybe even a side hustle, whether it's doing writing or some lecturing, or um, I provide coaching on that as well. And, and to help you create again, your dream life. Uh, for me, I, if you would have told me that, you know, five years ago that now I can work from home three days a week and get paid like I would a full-time clinician and, and create these opportunities outside of the op, I would have died laughing. And my goal was never to become a public speaker. My goal was just to change the profession. So I chased my passion. I said yes to opportunities and I really fell into speaking and now I absolutely love it. And I'm so honored that I can do what I do from the podium. I, I do think that it is an extreme privilege to be able to uh, educate and empower the clinician and it, it, from the podium standpoint it's it's phenomenal to be able to have companies that stand behind me too and provide speaking honorariums is a, a gift it's a dream and it all came with literally just chasing my passion and you know that's what I encourage all professionals to do is figure out where what you love and you know what it's okay if you only want to do hygiene part-time and it's okay if you want to start a Etsy company and maybe it looks like starting, you know, a, a flower company, or maybe it looks like starting a, a dog washing or whatever it may be. There's so many opportunities that you can have, especially now in the industry where dentists are more open to part-time work or temporary work, or th there's a lot, a lot of opportunity for us. You know, this, this is the perfect um, segue into the next question I had for you or wanted, wanted you to share with everybody. Because one of the things that you talked about in your speech at Hinman um, really inspired me was that story you told us about the dentist who wouldn't, he refused to sign or write you a letter of recommendation to dental school, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and that's how you yeah. kind of got into you know, the way your career is now. Can you share that story with everybody? Oh, I would love to. So I worked for an amazing pediatric dentist. His name is Dr. Tony Lepore. He's since tired, uh, retired and he taught at UConn. And when I was a new grad, my goal was to go back to school for dentistry. I really thought I wanted to become a dentist. And that was the original goal. I started dental hygiene to pay for dental school. And I had come back from my second mission trip in two years and I had, I went to Kenya for two weeks. I did a dental hygiene mission trip and we stayed in mud huts and we went on safari and it was absolutely amazing. I would do it again in a heartbeat. When times are normal um, I, and we're not in a pandemic, I typically lead a mission trip once a year to the Dominican Republic. And I came back and I was just so excited to share all my stories with everyone. And he called me into the office and he was like, you know, I don't know if dental school is for you. I, I want you to think about it. I'm going to give you, you know, 90 days and you think about it. I, I don't want to write you this letter of recommendation because I'm concerned about your wrist. I don't think that you will be able to work full time long enough to pay for your student loans. And I think it's silly for you to go to school and get into all of this debt if you're not going to love it and you're not going to be able to pay off those loans. And he went further, one step further, and he said, you know, I see you as a speaker, writer, and consultant, and I think that's really, you know, you need to head, and I, I know that you are so passionate about public health. I want you to pursue that, and I was so angry at him that day. I, I had worked so hard to become a clinician, and it was always my, it, I felt like it was a miracle that I made it through hygiene school. And I just remember turning all red. It was like, well, this is silly. I'm not going to be a speaker, writer, consultant. I don't want to do any of those things. I want to be a full-time clinician. And 
long story short, now we just kind of laughed because after 90 days, I went to him and I said, you know what? I think you're right. And he was such a phenomenal mentor. The day that I gave my notice in his practice, I did it when he wasn't there because I was, I did, I didn't want to disappoint him, but I knew that I wanted, I didn't, Connecticut wasn't for me. And I wanted to move to the Boston area. And when I left, he made me promise three things. He wrote me this beautiful note. And he said, I don't want number one, never settle for your spouse. He said, you know, you've, you're such a unique person. I want you to find your true match. So don't settle for just anybody. He said, number two, I want you to go back to school to get your master's in public health. I really think that's for you. And I want you to do it soon. And number three, always work with kids. And when I, he said, you're really gifted with kids and they light you up, they're going to infuse you with the passion that you need to chase whatever it is that you want to achieve. And, um, you know, it makes me emotional. I get like chills every time I share the story because he was such a phenomenal mentor and I had no idea what I had. He, you know, was just one of, he was the best boss I ever had. And, um, I, and I've had some really great bosses, <laughs> but I, when I moved to Boston, I took two weeks off of life and I had never taken two weeks off of life ever in my whole history of life. And, you know, vacations when I was younger weren't a thing. If you were sitting on the couch, you were called lazy. So get up, get going. You know, what are you going to do with the day? So I, I became a spin instructor when I moved to Boston. I decided I wanted to teach spinning, indoor cycling. So I became a certified spin instructor and I started nannying a little girl um, who was three months old at the time. And now she's nine years old. And I've been with the family ever since. We still have our Wednesday dates right now. We're working on a 10,000 piece dog puzzle that is much harder than we both anticipated. And, (laughs) you know, I attribute that all to him. But what I've learned is that everything you do in your life will set you up. And every challenge, every struggle, every good and bad, ugly is meant to teach you a lesson. The quicker you learn the lesson and you embrace the struggle, you embrace the suck, you go through and you cry it out, you feel those disappointments, the more that your career or your life in general will propel you for what you're meant to have. And for me, I became a spin instructor because I was looking at it as I didn't want student loans. So I became a spin instructor in nanny because I love kids and let's make money doing two things I love to do. And I paid for school as I went. So I graduated with my master's with no loans. And four years after hygiene school, I had paid off $90,000 in loans because I was making really wise decisions on what I was spending my money on and budgeting really strictly. But now I look at it as I would never be comfortable in front of an audience if I hadn't learned to be comfortable in front of spandex leading a spin class where if the song sucked, you would get booed. So all of these things really helped propel me forward into what I meant to do. And every terrible boss I've had, every temping situation that was terrible, every negative interaction with another employee or a peer has always has taught me the skills that I need to teach others. So inspiring. I, I mean, just the way that you go through life and the way you choose to perceive, you know, any mm-hmm. adversities that come your way. I mean, that's a really huge, that makes a huge difference of the people who are successful and people who move, you know, move forward in life rather than just staying stagnant or not, you know, being lost. And yeah, that, yeah. such an inspiration. I just love hearing Aww. that story. Aww. I love well, that story you. when you when you told us that at Hinman about that doctor who really inspired mm-hmm. you, like um, just tremendous. I, I just love mm-hmm. hearing stories like that. And I know it's gonna touch and really pump a lot of people up out there and hopefully just light a fire in them too, you know? <laughs> 
Yes, um, I hope so. I hope so. And, you know, I think when you look at people too, who are always encouraging to me, whether it's Oprah or Tony Robbins, or even Pitbull, when you look at people who are successful, or Michelle Obama, they changed, you're, you're dealt a hand of cards when you're born into this world. And I truly believe that when you are working hard, when you are showing up, when you are putting that work in, you can change your cards in at any time. So you could recreate yourself. You can create any life that you want. It's all about your attitude and what you're willing to learn and also what you're willing to put up with. If you're in an office that you don't feel like you're respected or valued or um, even, you know, happy to be there, but you choose to stay there and you choose to have the comfort of, of that dis discomfort, that toxic environment, if you normalize it, when you could literally create your dream job next door. And, you know, it's, I see that so much. And a lot of it is around fear and you've had to learn how to jump and take a, a step of faith really, and take a leap of faith and many times, but it's always, it always pays off when you do that. Yeah. So like during those times where you, you felt like, gosh, can I really do this? I'm sure you've experienced that. Mm -hmm. multiple times mm -hmm. um like what did you what did you do or did you have anybody who was just like your cheerleader or you know like what did you do to propel you forward you know I've always been really fortunate where even though my family wasn't super supportive I've always had people on my journey who are there whether it's for a season or for a lifetime and I will say I had an amazing study buddy named Jen throughout hygiene school who really was my big cheerleader and then my roommate, Miranda, and Miranda and I roomed together for four years on campus, and we're still friends today. Uh, Miranda is a practicing dental hygienist and recently was in a Hallmark movie. Um, she's an actress and chased her passion for acting, but she really, both of them were so pivotal because I was in a place in my mind where I couldn't get over the self-negative talk, and I was so discouraged where I'd put so much work in, and I would try to stay positive, and I would fail tests and then just, it was so this cycle of just working so hard and thinking it's going to work because I'm working really hard and then I would fail. And then I'd be like, Oh, well, what now? So I would say that, you know, it was that, and, but I needed that to learn the importance of, uh, you know, just resilience and learn that you can get through hard things. And now I actually do a lot of um, HIT training where I do Orange Theory uh, three to four times a week. So I'm pushing my brain and pushing, literally teaching myself that I can physically do hard things so that when I'm mentally um, working, <laughs> I can, I'm in a different spot. And two years ago, I signed up for um, a coach and I've worked with an amazing uh, business and life coach that also helped me because growing up in the environment that I did, it's really easy to kind of get into my own head and almost have a, that synapse of negative thinking or negative coaching, or um, even I at one point in my life have been in situations where I tried to self-shame to motivate and, oh, like you're, you're so behind on this. You should have done this 10, 10, you know, years ago or 10 days ago rather. And why did you wait till last minute to get this assignment done? And try to then be productive in that environment is not going to, to work. So um, having a life coach has been really pivotal for me as well. And I my just, yeah, yeah. The, having a coach is definitely, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, 
you have to do that. Like I actually just started working with one too, and it's been life changing. Okay. Good, good. Yes. We can't, we can't see what we can't see. So it's nice to have somebody to support you in it and to help you process it emotionally and encourage you to feel all the feels. Right. Right. Yes. I liked that you were so vulnerable with, you know, um, talking about those times when you're just, you know, self-shaming yourself and that self-talk. Um, but like, as far as the dental hygiene career, like I, there's been a lot of negativity out there about that. Like there's actual, one of the, I have a relationship with the temp agency here in Atlanta. And, um, she was telling me about this Facebook group that they have called, uh, what is it called? It's called trapped in an op or something like that. And it's just, you know, story after story of people just leaving the, the profession. And I'm just like, it's scary. You know, I'm like, there's so many amazing things about being a dental hygienist, but you know, there's so many hygienists out there who don't know how to communicate, you know, what they're feeling. So it just, they're creating their own hell, <laughs> you know, in the world. And um, it's just so inspiring to hear you bringing the passion back into the profession. You know, I, I feel that fire. Cause I mean, the burnout is real. It is so real. I see Facebook groups, you know, people are just always making comments about that. And, you know, it's the community, uh, I love the community that they're all talking with each other, but you want to spread goodness, <laughs> you know, not yeah. so much negativity. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is, you know, um, I'm aware of the group. I have watched the group for many years and throughout COVID when I was seeing mass hygienists exiting and having the, them calling me and saying, well, what can you get me into? And I'm okay. What? What skills have you done? What work have you done to be ready to do this? And what courses have you taken? How are you investing in yourself? And well, I'm a dental hygienist. I should be able to be able to go and get this or go and get that. I'm like, right. But it all, I understand you do have an amazing degree, but let's talk about how you're presenting yourself. Let's talk about how you're networking. Let's talk about what your real end goal is. Um, so for me, I, again, absolutely love dental hygiene. I think it's an amazing, amazing career. And when I look at burnout and I look at those people who are really going down the road of negativity on social media or expecting that they should be handed different professions or different opportunities just because that entitlement is not going to get us anywhere, number one. Uh, number two, a lot of the burnout stems from conflict management in the practice. So we have to learn how to communicate with each other well in a respectful manner that's solution-based to effectively collaborate to create an amazing career that we really all want. Absolutely. You know, I got a chance to look at your website. Um, can you tell the audience now like about your, your program, which is mm -hmm. so comprehensive I, I'm really <laughs> impressed with it. Very <laughs> Thank impressed. You. Thank you. Well, I will say I've, I've been a part of the um, RDH magazine team for about six years now, and I have a platform called Ask Amber RDH. So where hygienists can go in, we do a Facebook group um, or Facebook Live rather through RDH magazine's platform. So I have a really good pulse on what the industry needs in regards to the content that they need. So what I uh, did is I put together a 50 um, on-demand lesson course called Thrive in the Op. It's 100% on-demand and don't let the number 50 scare you. Some of the videos, most of the videos are eight minutes or less and not every section has a video. Some of it is a self-led on-demand kind of workbook or clinical cases that you can review. And then we also do weekly coaching. 
So the weekly coaching is done in a private Facebook group called Thrive in the Op that members have lifetime access to, and they have lifetime access on the on-demand content. So this covers literally everything that I wish I had over the last 11 years of my career, from networking to clinical skills, to emotional intelligence, to how to leverage your strengths, to how to make more money in less time, to working with difficult uh, peers, difficult patients, difficult office manager, difficult leadership, and how we show up honestly in our best selves so that we can fully thrive in the op and love it. Because there have been times in my career where I'm literally feel, feel burnt out or dread going to work. There's been times I cry on the way home and be like, well, what can I, what else can I do? Or even struggling with wrist pain or back pain or neck pain. And how do we really deal with that? How do we become best advocates for ourselves? And it can be hard when you graduate school and feel like you're on an island. So this is also a private community where we're encouraging each other, we're celebrating one another, and it's been amazing to see the differences and the confidence. Each and every member has left the, the group more confident. And the great thing is you have lifetime access to it. So if you join, like we have members that joined in fall, I launched in fall of 2021. And now we have members that are coming in now in our spring session who get to meet those fall members and the fall members get to hear and still be a part of the lives if they want to be. So they get to continue to ask questions. So it's literally group coaching with me and we process through uh, what they're going through. And if they want to keep it uh, anonymous, they email me ahead of time. I answer on the live and that's pretty much how it works. So it's been an absolutely amazing thing to offer the profession and see the exact difference from um, participants who are going through the program. Awesome. Can, can you tell us like, is there a deadline to sign up for the program? Yes. So we actually keep doors open. So we open each quarter. So it opens four times a year and the doors stay open for 30 to 60 uh, days at a time. So we opened in uh, March 20. What did we do? We did March 21st where they opened. So we will be closing at the end of April. Okay. Yes. The end of April. And I actually have a uh, promo code for you. So all listeners who, um, type in Bev to the promo code BEV, we'll get $100 off their Thrive membership. Oh my God, that is so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much for, for having having me today and and to be able to um, share platforms. I'm, I'm super honored to to be um, encouraging your, your listeners. And, um, you know, if you decide if you're on the fence and you're not sure if Thrive is for you, you can feel free to reach out to me. You can do a full-time payment. If you pay in full, you do save money, um, but you can also kind of pay as you go. And the coolest thing about it all, honestly, is I've had about 10 doctors who have paid for all of their hygienists to become a part of it. And that's where like sobbing, I'm just literally sobbing, writing back emails, like, thank you so much. And I do offer um, group pricing. So it's been amazing to have Dennis recognize what I'm doing and it feels so good. I know I'm on the right track when that's happening. Well, I am definitely going to spread the words about the good, that, the good <laughs> news that you're spreading because it is very beautiful. And I know that you're making a huge impact in the community and in the country because now, I mean, I love that we can do this, you know, virtually and you can impact a lot more people that way. And you are making a huge difference. Thank you so much. And as are you, I'm, I'm so grateful to have met in person and I can't wait to continue to meet up throughout the rest of the year and years to come.
<laughs> and I'm glad I heard the deadline because I will be joining your community. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> yes, I'm excited too. And thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show and just inspiring a lot of people out there. And I look forward to building a stronger relationship and impacting, helping, or just being in your um, associations and space, you know, impacting more people. So appreciate you, Amber. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on Dark Horse Matters, the show about people, passionate people. If you like this episode, please share with your friends. It's going to make a huge difference in the world, just spreading good news to people. So until next time, you guys, be passionate.